Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. If I haven't met you before, my name is Jonathan, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, Last weekend, a number of you visited Northridge Vineyard in Thornley with us uh, at the end of the Vineyard New South Wales Conference, Vineyard Australia Conference. They ran one in Victoria and then one in New South Wales. And overall, that was a very powerful conference. Um, I said to someone earlier, it's been a a long time since I saw that amount of Holy Spirit power in the room. Uh, We saw some incredible things, people, a number of people set free um, from evil spirits, so deliverance. Um, We saw or heard stories of blind eyes being opened, which is pretty powerful. Um, A number of people physically healed. Uh, On the last night, I had the privilege of praying with one older lady who had uh, significant health issues, like a long list. And there was a few of us praying for her and uh, she just listed everything that was wrong. I was like, oh Lord, Um, (laughs) where do I start? And, you know, so we just started praying. One of the things was she she couldn't breathe through her nose Um, because she had so much inflammation in her sinuses and her face and it was quite swollen. So we just prayed uh, that the Lord would bring healing there to start with. And she could then start to breathe freely through her nose, which she hadn't for a a long time. Um, And then her eyesight started to get clearer because of the swelling around her eyes. She could start to see better. And then she had more blood flow into her legs where she couldn't move her feet before that. She was in a wheelchair. She started moving her feet and felt like she could stand up. So just some wonderful stories of the Lord at work just in his kindness. And um, I feel like that ties in well with what has been our series of Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, a book by Tyler Staten that we've been tracking through. And we started off that series looking at the hope for our prayer lives. What would it look like to have a vibrant prayer life with Jesus? And uh, we, we started off by looking at the postures of prayer, of resting in God's goodness, placing ourselves in what Eugene Peterson calls the middle voice. So we're not active in prayer and we're not passive in prayer. We are partnering with the will of the Father by his Holy Spirit in prayer. Sam helped us look at adoration in prayer. Prue unpacked confession. Ella and Kira a couple of weeks ago looked at persevering in prayer for the lost. And we've already seen some wonderful fruit from some of that prayer. And this week I'm wrapping up the series looking at the topic of unceasing prayer. I want to look at what that is and how we can cultivate that in our lives. And I actually then want to spend a chunk of this morning looking at one of the gifts that God makes available to us as his followers to assist us in unceasing prayer. And that is the gift of tongues. And I'm aware that the gift of tongues comes with a whole lot of baggage, depending on what uh, arm of the church perhaps you've come from or your background. Uh, Particularly in Sydney, there's significant, I think, misunderstanding around the gifts of the Spirit just in general, um, of which tongues is one. And there's a fair bit of misunderstanding about the gifts of tongues in particular. So please hear me this morning. One of our values here at Centrepoint is a vineyard value being naturally supernatural. One vineyard pastor recently described that as just not being weirder than we have to be, (laughs) which I think is helpful. Um, So that's where this discussion is coming from. Uh, I want to speak pastorally and sensitively into that gift. Uh, But 
somewhat unapologetically because it is a gift of the Holy Spirit that we see in Scripture that's available to us as his followers. So I've titled this morning's message, as the chapter of the book was, Praying Without Ceasing. And in many ways, unceasing prayer is actually the ultimate objective of all of prayer. Connected relationship with our Father in heaven. And we encounter this concept of unceasing prayer or praying without ceasing from Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Chapter 5, verse 16 to 17. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually. Other translations say, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. These are some of Paul's final instructions in his letter to that church. The kind of pay attention to this stuff part of his letter. And I don't know about you, but I often, when I'm finding myself in perhaps perplexing situations or uh, difficult situations, I'm often asking myself or asking God the question, God, what is your will in this particular scenario? But at a foundational level, Paul is being explicit here in telling us that God's will in any given situation is to be thankful in all circumstances, to rejoice always, and to be aware that no matter where we find ourselves, we are continually in the presence of holy God. As the psalmist writes, where can I go from your presence? Unceasing prayer is like a constant reminder that God is not far off from us. That he is right here, closer than a brother. And even more than that, he actually knows us better than we know ourselves. And yet he loves us infinitely more than we can ever hope or imagine. And if we can just get a small grasp of that, we can start to give thanks in all circumstances. The Apostle Paul refers to that form of relationship with Jesus as unceasing prayer. Now, if you're anything like me, you've probably read that instruction before by Paul and you've written it off as kind of an impossible goal or an unrealistic expectation. You know, at the very least, it seems impossible to pray 24-7 if for no other reason than the fact we have to sleep. But when you think of unceasing prayer in that way, it's an indication that we've categorized prayer in a certain way. We might think of it as, you know, fervently petitioning God with our requests, or we might have more of a traditional view of prayer, which involves, you know, reciting liturgy, both of which are wonderful and true and good, but both of which are only a a thin slice of the cake that is prayer. Paul's not talking about petitioning God every minute of every day. He's talking about cultivating a condition of our hearts where we're conscious that Jesus is with us in any given moment. It's an awareness of his presence with you that becomes your compass as you move through your day, including your working and your sleeping. This is not a, oh my goodness, I'm sending an email, I should be praying kind of mindset. I think what Paul's getting at is that there is never an aspect of our life that we cannot be in conversation with God about. But the reason this is hard for us to grasp is because this is no longer the default condition of the human condition. In Genesis 3, we see the breaking of what was a beautiful picture of Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with the Lord in his presence. And instead of that, Adam and Eve, they ate the apple. Well, actually, the Hebrew is just fruit. So it's probably more likely a fig. I like to sometimes think it's a watermelon just for comedy's sake. I digress. They were supposed to be present with God 
in the garden, but after they ate the fruit, they hid themselves. And from then on, hiding ourselves has become our default position with God. And in today's world, we mostly hide ourselves through hurry and distraction. Particularly, I think in today's age, we struggle with what the contemplatives have called interior immigration. So basically, we're physically in a room, but internally, we're very rarely present to the people in that room or to God who is in that room. We internally immigrate somewhere else, either to a worry that we're concerned about or to a recent conversation that's playing in our mind or really simply to an Instagram feed. And the reason this is so hard for us is because we live in a very distracted world and we are products of that distracted world. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can start training ourselves in unceasing prayer. Paul writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, Instead, train yourself for godliness. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things. Instead, train yourself for godliness. Now, you don't start running marathons by running a marathon. You start by jogging around the block. Otherwise, you would die. (laughs) The same is true of prayer. You don't start with unceasing prayer by praying unceasingly. You start by training yourself in the presence of Jesus. And as you train yourself little moments throughout your day, that becomes more natural to you and you become more aware of the presence of Jesus with you who is in every moment throughout your day. Brother Lawrence, who is a monk who used to wash dishes in a monastery, he wrote a great little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And in it, he writes this. He, that is Jesus, does not ask much of us, merely a thought from him, of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces past and present that he has bestowed upon you. Think of God as much as possible so that you will gradually become accustomed to this little but holy exercise. No one will notice it and nothing is easier than to repeat often throughout the day these little acts of interior adoration. (coughs) So we start by swapping the interior immigration that is our default position with small acts of interior adoration. Just little moments of thankfulness throughout the day, bringing Jesus to mind as our true center, as our point of reference amidst the busyness of work, of cooking dinner, of changing nappies and of kids screaming of a coffee with a co-worker or the craziness of life that is the hustle and bustle of Sydney. And like athletes, there are tools available to us that we can use to train. And these tools, many of them are ancient, but they're as needed today as they were throughout church history, if not more so. And one tool that we can learn is what's called the prayer verse. And it's just a certain phrase, whatever that phrase you would like to use, you can use. But it's a, it's a certain verse from scripture, perhaps, or a simple prayer that you can pray throughout the day. And it's just a way of bringing your heart's attention back to Jesus in the moment. It can be whatever you like, but one that's been used for centuries is a phrase, Maranatha. And it's an Aramaic phrase. It was written by Paul and would have been used by the early church. It's in 1 Corinthians 16. And it simply means... Come, Lord. 
And for centuries, people of the faith would have prayed this in small moments. Maranatha, come Lord. Here in the vineyard, we pray a very similar prayer, another ancient prayer. We pray, come Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. Whatever moment you're in, come Lord, come Holy Spirit into this moment. Maranatha. Some people choose to engage it almost like a breath prayer. As you breathe in, it's almost like you're, you're almost visualizing the presence of Jesus filling the body. Maranatha, come Lord. And you breathe out your worries and anxieties to the world. But it doesn't matter so much what the phrase is as much as it helps you counteract the interior immigration that we're so accustomed to. Another tool which is given to us in Scripture by the Holy Spirit, and it's referred to as a gift. That word charismata means gracious gift. It's a gift of grace. Freely given, it's the gift of tongues. And we read about the gift of tongues along with a bunch of other gifts through 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Now, if you read that passage with no context at all, at first glance, it can seem like the Apostle Paul is a little bit negative around the gift of tongues. But that's actually not the case. Paul had a very high view of the gift of tongues, so much that he writes, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Which, when said to the Corinthian church, was saying a lot because... Scholars will tell us that the Corinthian church, pretty much all they did was speak in tongues. They used to stand up, they think, and out yell each other in the gift of tongues to prove how spiritual they were. So Paul is writing to that context, which can I just say is very different from our context. If anything, Paul as a corrective letter would perhaps be writing the opposite to us. Start to flow in the gifts of the Spirit more than you're used to, I think, is probably what he would say. So just be aware that the context of 1 Corinthians is not our Sydney context. If anything, in the Western rational view, we're coming from a polar opposite approach. We don't have time to read chapters 12 and 14, but I'd probably encourage you after this to go home and read chapters 12 and 14 in 1 Corinthians. But what Paul is using is he's distinguishing between the private use of the gift of tongues and the public use of the gift of tongues in a gathered community. Now, based on the abuse of the gifts of the Spirit that the Corinthian church was known for, if I were Paul, coming from my Western grid, I probably would have written, do not use the gifts of the Spirit in your gathered community. It is so unhealthy, you need to stop it. But Paul doesn't say that. He actually tells them to go on eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit, but simply to do it in a really ordered way so that everyone can be involved and people can understand what's going on. Is Ella in the room? Ella, can you pop up, please? Ella has been learning French for how many years? Three years. Three years. Now, I've asked Ella to say something in French for us. Something kind of spiritual prayer or Bible verse or something like that. Yeah. Go for it. No. Right. We're going to pray, so feel free. To pray. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to like announce a, a French prayer. Mon Père, je suis content que tu sois là, ici, avec nous. Merci pour votre fils. Donnez le courage de parler de vous. Je t'adore, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now that sounded beautiful. 
How many of us understood what Ella was praying there? We have one French speaker. <laughs> I, I picked up the word mercy, which is thank you and Jesus. So what, what was it that you prayed, Ella? I, heard I, I said, my father, um, I can't remember what order I said it in, but thank you um, for your son. Thank you that you are here with us today. Um, give us the courage to speak about you. Beautiful. I love you, Jesus. That's a lovely prayer. Thank you, Ella. Paul is writing about that kind of experience. If you just stand up in a public gathering and speak in a tongue other than English, or in the context Greek, no one can understand what you're saying. So how can they join you in your prayer? That is the context that Paul is writing 1 Corinthians in. It's the same reason why we put words up on the screen in worship. Because if you don't know the song... You can then look at the words and you can join in with the gathered community in worshiping Jesus. So Paul is correcting their public use of the gift. He's not down on their private use of the gift. But before we kind of get too far ahead of ourselves, what even is the gift of tongues? Well, there's a little definition for you. Speaking in tongues, the Greek word is glossolalia, which just means other languages. So speaking in other languages, usually heavenly given language. Or praying in the Spirit is what happens when a Christian believer allows the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide the form of words he or she utters. It's not an act of divine ventriloquism. Do you know what ventriloquism is? You know where you've got a puppet and forcing their mouth to move? That's not what tongues is. It's an act of collaboration with the Holy Spirit. It's simply an act of cooperation on behalf of your spirit with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It's not like the Holy Spirit starts taking over your mouth. You have control of this gift. You can start and you can stop. In the same way that if you were to give a prophetic word, you choose to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You have to choose to speak. It's exactly the same kind of thing. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. What do we call it when we are speaking to God? It's not not a difficult one. Prayer, prayer, exactly, yeah. So the gift of tongues is actually a prayer language supernaturally given to us by the Holy Spirit to help us in our communion with Him. So it's not a learnt language in the same way that Ella has studied French for three years. You don't study the grammar and the syntax of tongues. It's something supernaturally given to you by the Holy Spirit that's outside of your conscious mind. Why would the Lord give us a gift like this? Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he or she who speaks in a tongue edifies himself or herself. Jude verse 20 talks about building yourself up. But you, dear friends, by building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So the idea of the gift of tongues is that it's to encourage us. That's what all the gifts of the Spirit are for, for edification of the body of Christ. It's for encouragement. And so the gift of tongues is a form of prayer given by God, which encourages us in our own personal relationship with him. And that's why it's such a precious gift. God has given us a tool that we can use to encourage ourselves and to pray whenever and wherever and about whatever without the need of processing through our rational mind what we would be wanting to pray. Paul writes in verse 14, of chapter 14, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. 
So your spirit is partnering with the Holy Spirit and communicating to God without you needing to understand every element of that prayer. And that's why it's such a precious gift. Because when you think about it, there are an amazing number of opportunities throughout your day for this spiritual practice. While you're waiting for a lift, while you're sitting on the bus, while you're making your bed, while you're driving a car. All the times when you're doing something kind of mundane, where your mind isn't necessarily fully engaged, you can use the gift of tongues as a way of practicing the presence of God. Two minutes here, five minutes there. If you add all those moments up in your day, they could add up to a couple of hours of practicing the presence of God. It's a way of reversing the internal immigration that otherwise characterizes our lives. I've personally been using this gift. Um, I mow lawns and hedge and stuff on Mondays and Tuesdays, generally speaking. I use this gift whilst I'm doing that because I'm still focused on what I'm doing so that I get the line of the hedge right, but I'm still able to pray and to be aware that I'm in the presence of Jesus. I sometimes use it when I'm driving. I also use it when um, I find myself or, or there's a friend in a difficult situation where I just simply do not know what to pray. Romans 8, 26, in this way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Recently, a friend of mine has gone through a particularly difficult time, and it's a, a very complex uh, situation, which I just have not known how or even what to pray. Like, what's the right, what am I supposed to pray for in this particular situation? And so instead, rather than just worrying in God's general direction, I've been praying in tongues. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is partnering with my spirit in praying what he wants me to pray. And it's been edifying. It's my way of giving that situation over to God and saying, this is in your hands. And I'm praying your will in this scenario. Kirsty, do you want to pop up real quick? I've just asked Kirsty to share a personal experience of how you receive the gift of tongues yeah. and how you use it. Go yeah. for it. Um, so I was very fortunate to grow up in church, so youth group and all such things. Um, and so I probably was 14 or 15 when I think someone came to our youth group um, and was talking on tongues and sort of invited us all to... Um, receive the gift of tongues um, and so one of the standouts I remember was exactly what Jono was saying that the Lord wasn't going to just force language out of our mouths and that it was very much you need to you need to open your mouth and you need to start making noise and then by trusting in the Lord that gift will come um, and it did um, and so it was it was just this language that poured out um, and it wasn't it was, wasn't spooky I was in control as he said it wasn't as I said something thrust upon me um, and then, it, yes, it was just learning that that was an option to go to. Um, so I feel like there's a couple of spaces in my day-to-day -day that I would um, operate in tongues, worship being one of them, which I find is probably one of the most, and that in the space where I don't necessarily, where I feel like the English language fails me sometimes in my, my gratitude and my thankfulness for the Lord. Tongues is this beautiful overflow of just all that I want to say to the Lord but I don't have the language for. Um, so yeah, definitely during worship I would sing a lot in tongues. Um, and then, yeah, in those, especially in the car a lot. Um, and, and again, it's not necessarily I've got something on my mind about that I'm particularly praying for. I'm just, I'm going about my day and it's, and I, I don't know what the day holds. And so it's just, it's sort of aligning my spirit and my 
part just with what the Lord wants to do that day. It, in, it's sort of, it feels funny because it's not in an active way. It's sort of I'm just, it's a bit routine and a bit of habit, which feels sort of anti what, you know, you want to be intentional when you're speaking with the Lord, but in a way I feel like it's a lovely, you know, just space to sit in in the zone. Um, so yeah, that's just a nice aligning, connecting with the Lord. And then there would be that petitioning and I don't know what to pray here, Jesus. Both in like um, grief, but also in that joy place of just thanking mm. Jesus, but also help Lord. Um, and it feels like the safest place to be because as you said, the spirit is interceding on your behalf. And I'm like, if the Trinity, I'm like, Jesus knows exactly what I need and he's praying to the Lord on my behalf. I'm like, there, there's no better option. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, you have the words I don't have. So it's just this, it's, yeah, as you said, I think it's an absolutely a beautiful gift um, of like a direct line with the perfect words of Jesus to the Father. Mm. Um, so. Awesome. Thank you, Kirsty. Um, I just want to finish very quickly and then we're going to pray. Is the gift of tongues for everyone? And there are some parts of the wider church that think this gift isn't for today at all, along with all of the other spiritual gifts, that it died out with the apostles. Aside from a huge weight of anecdotal evidence and experiential evidence throughout church history suggesting otherwise, that position has now been rejected theologically. So um, you look out throughout church history, the gifts of the Spirit have always been in circulation within the church. And uh, since charismatic theology came to the fore, uh, the idea of the gifts having ceased is called cessationism. That has been academically rejected. So the gifts of the Spirit still exist today, and many scholars will attest to that. Um, there's also another camp that thinks that unless you speak in tongues, you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not saved. And again, academically, that has just been disproven. That's um, a certain arm of the church kind of way out here that thinks those kind of things. So this is not a salvation issue, whether, whether or not you speak in tongues. Along with all of the other gifts, they're not salvation issues, unless you prophesy, unless you can heal somebody, all of that. They're not salvation issues. These are gifts from the Holy Spirit to us, to use to build ourselves up and to build up the body. Do you have to walk in them? No. That's a free gift of grace. We don't have to do anything in the Christian life aside from saying, Jesus, I've got nothing and I come to you. Everything has been won by Jesus on the cross. We do not have to do anything except receive that gift of grace. So do you have to speak in tongues? No. But my question would be, would you like to? And I think Paul would say that as well. He writes to the Corinthians, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Now, to me, that suggests two things. Firstly, Clearly, not everybody in the church in Corinth did. Otherwise, he wouldn't bother writing that. And equally, I don't think Paul would have written it unless he assumed that the gift was available for everybody to step into if they would like that. God doesn't withhold grace from us. And this gift, the primary purpose is of encouragement and it has the potential to revolutionize your prayer life. So it makes sense that Paul would say to us as Jesus followers, would you like to step into this? I would like all of you to step into this in the same way that I would like all of you to walk more freely in all of the gifts of the Spirit. So do you have to speak in tongues? No, but would you like to? I think it's available to us as followers of Jesus. 
Would you like to receive a gift from Jesus that encourages you in your faith and helps you in your prayer life? How do you receive it then, if you would like to step into it? Well, we are told that we can ask for the gifts of the Spirit. Paul writes, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. The word that he uses, the Greek word is zelion, which means be zealous for. It's where we get the word zeal. Desire with eagerness. Zealously desire the gifts of the Spirit. So you can ask him for the gifts of the Spirit. So you can ask him for the gift of tongues. And then as Kirsty shared, you then have to choose to partner with the Holy Spirit and step out in it. In the same way that if you were to give a prophecy, you would have to choose to partner with the Spirit and step out and give that word to somebody. Or if you were to choose to pray for healing, or if you choose to be hospitable, invite someone into your home, you still have to partner with the Holy Spirit. There is an act of your will involved with the will of the Father. So you have to choose to start partnering with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. This is not some divine taking over of your mouth against your will. It's partnership. It's using your mouth to utter phrases to the Lord that you might not comprehend, but you allow them to represent what your heart is saying to Jesus. So that's how you start. You start praying in English, if you like, or singing in English, and then you just pick a random phrase as a form of prayer. And at first, it probably feels like you're making it up. But every prophetic word I've ever given feels like I'm making it up. Every word of knowledge somewhat feels like I'm making it up. Is this me, Lord, or is this you? I don't know. I'm just going to step out and try. It's the same thing. Is this me, Lord? Probably, yeah. As you first step out and pray in tongues, it is probably you. But the Lord takes that, honors it, partners with you, and then releases more phrases to you. And you start to freely cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this gift. So do you have to? No. Is it a salvation issue? No, it's not. Is it an invitation? Yes. Would you like this gift? Now, I would like to spend some time praying for some of us this morning. I don't know what the Lord wants to do. I've got a couple of ideas from when I was praying in the car, but we're just going to wait and see. So how about we stand? You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart. So we see-